This week, I'm joined by my crew again for another episode of The General Club. We talked about the paper Human Level Control Through Deep Reinforcement Learning. So this is one of the papers um, that I guess it's pretty well known. Insane amount of citations. Um, it's a seminal paper in the reinforcement learning um, field. It introduces the use of deep reinforcement learning to create an agent that can play multiple different kinds of games. So, you know, this is a lot of the stuff that underlies things like AlphaGo um, and and everything else, you know, all those interesting things you've seen probably online. Also, I wanted to make a few corrections. Um, in there, I say that when I was a little kid, I used to do something like reward hacking, you know, which is basically I would take an instruction I was given and find the way to do it in the most literal way possible so that you know i technically did what i had to do i think i did some of that but i don't think i did it enough to be like okay i was hacking this system somehow but anyway there's that and i also mentioned that one of the authors one of the papers that you're going to read next time has 7000 citations but that was wrong that was the author had 7000 citations the paper had far fewer but just wanted to correct those anyways if you're interested in reinforcement learning, we talk about this paper to not that much detail, but reasonable detail, but we go off on a bunch of tangents and had a great conversation about how to learn and reality and the general rules we all live by and etc. It's an awesome conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you learn something. This is a One Deeper podcast and catch you again soon. All right, boys. Welcome to the uh, another episode here. General Club number two. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I think like, this whole thing, having to uh, move the mics around, it's actually kind of nice because that kind of means that we won't talk over each other. So one of the things about like having a podcast with people have those monitors on with the headphones on is so that it sort of makes it so that you, you, you're not uh, recording or like you're not talking over other, other people. But anyway, yeah, so you gotta like, just like, just like point and like wave the mic over to you. So I think I heard exactly the same comments said by uh, Lex during um, Jorogan's podcast, where like Jorogan was like, oh yeah, everyone has here has the headphones, like they have their own set. And Lex was like, no, no, we, like, I don't have it that way, so people are forced to take turns. Yeah. Uh, even though I think it wasn't intentional by design, I think it just kind of happened for him and he decided to never change it. Okay. So we're kind of in the same situation now, which is kind of cool. Well, here we are. All right. So we're going to talk about a lot of things probably. Uh, but uh, AGI, uh, baby. Yeah, AGI. <laughs> the, the, but the uh, the paper was uh, the, reinfo- the reinforcement learning paper. Like, was it, It's got a fancy title. Um, Human level control through deep reinforcement learning. Yes, that's the one. Very badass. Very badass. Okay, I think since you, since Andre is the one who fucking su- suggested this, I think you should be the one to uh, say something about it. First, at least. Thank you, thank you. Take your time, no pressure, baby. <laughs> I, got, I got my thesis about this. So I, I better know my shit. A lot of pressure, boys, a lot of pressure. Maybe just like, what is reinforcement learning, bro? Like for people who are just casual. Okay, okay, okay. For the casuals. What do we got? What do we got there? We got supervised learning. It's the great Lex Friedman once put it. Learning 
from example. Those are the labels. You get the data. They are labeled. Okay, this is a cat, this is a dog. This is how a cat looks like. This is how a dog looks like. Now, reinforcement learning. What is special about the about reinforcement learning boys? Yeah, watch for the spring. Don't don't yeah, thing and, don't and, and don't bang on the tables too much. Is that <laughs> what's special about reinforcement learning? Is that you learn from experience. No one has to hold your hand. So that's that's powerful in situations in which examples learning by example is not really possible. You have a robot, you can't, you have a robot, you want it to make a backflip. You can't backflip in front of that robot. So it will learn how to do a backflip. Can I be mean? Yes, you can. <laughs> how about imitation learning? You can, you know, motion capture a backflip or something like that? That falls under a reinforcement learning. Does it? Let's mm. check it out, man. We have laptops in front of us. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I I like the choice of example that you made though. Like you didn't go for the you know for the example from the paper. You went for a random one, and you made it hard for yourself. I I appreciate the <laughs> the self cha self imposed challenge. You know, that's uh, how we grow, boys. That's how we grow. Indeed, but uh, yeah, you might be correct about that. Uh, it would be nice if you can check it. What I wanted to say though is, uh, I think uh, the reinforcement learning. Uh, comes into like becomes really useful when you have an environment where uh, there are explicit rewards um, for for the backflip example you don't really have uh, unless you give it one you don't have an explicit reward uh, halfway through you only have you completed a backflip but the intermediate steps are really hard to reward for while in the in the paper where we read uh, this month we have video games from the Atari 2000 uh, what's it called, 2600 console, um, where you have a lot of steps, right? Like you have a, a lot of steps where uh, the agent can learn what the uh, expected reward is for that. But yeah, that was a little sidetrack. Did you find out? <laughs> Not just uh, the steps for the reward, right? Like the agent sort of doesn't even know what the game is to begin with. Like it has no idea what the Atari thing is. It has no idea what... So if you, if you take the... What is it like, uh, pong or whatever it is, right? It has no idea about the f about the the game, the, what the paddles are, what the ball is, or any what any of this is. So it just learns everything straight from just the raw images, from one frame to the next, right? So the ball is in one position, then the next frame, it's in another position, and then just from that, it's able to. This is a really interesting thing because, like, okay, the question is. Does it actually know? Uh, to a certain degree, the answer to this question is it, that it doesn't matter. But the question is, does it actually know what it's doing? Is it playing the game, right? But from a purely mechanistic point of view, it doesn't matter, and it's not it's not built to do that. It's just built to do. It's just built to make the pixels do a certain thing, right? Which is still really powerful. Okay, and, and that's a really interesting thought, which we should definitely get into later. But I think before we do that, let's like let's think about what you just said. And it's the fact that it's using these raw pixels from a screen and learns from itself 
how to play a game according to some rewards. Not just a game, a game it's never seen. It has no idea what it is. It is. It, is, it doesn't even know. It doesn't even understand the concept of a game. To be to be honest, right? And that's what's so groundbreaking about this paper, right? It was released in 2015, and what they did. So it's from Google DeepMind, right? Yeah. And what they did that's so groundbreaking is that they combined reinforcement learning, which is, you know, it's already existed for a while, with deep neural networks and create the deep reinforcement learning. So like one of the big things lately like that have been making these things even more impactful, even with like ChatGPT, is the fact that we are now able to scale and run and build these massive models, right? And even if th some of the ideas had been around for decades maybe, they just weren't useful until we could do the engineering and build the stuff and you know have these massive data centers and build hundred something billion parameter models, which is you know interesting. But yeah, so I think actually, like uh, as you said, like the computational power has been a limitation for a long time, and uh, lately it's it's gotten better let's say it's still very expensive but we can do things that were impossible even 10 years ago which le leads me to the question this paper has been released almost 10 years ago what if we took the same architecture and ran it again how much better would it be because they did say they uh, they did encounter problems with computational power where they couldn't do hyperparameter optimization pretty much at all because uh, it was too expensive to run for them and anchors what will happen if we did it now? How much better would it be? I assume it's not going to be, you know, order of magnitude better, but 10 years of computer, um, like hardware development is almost a ordinate, or one order of magnitude better. I mean, they have games that, uh, they've crushed games like Alpha Zero. Alpha Zero, like for sure they've gotten way, it's gotten way better. Dora, dude, there's a, like that bot beat a bunch of pro players casually, right? I mean, uh, I meant like literally the same experiment oh, with the same, uh, yeah, yeah, the exact same thing. How much better would it get, like, uh, purely based on that computational difference? But yeah, of, of course, then they had uh, architectural improvements as well that made it so we can crush like humans on pretty much every game, not just Atari, very simple games. I do want to shout out to Tilburg University for Tisney. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you guys notice the Tisney plot in there? So Tisney was built by T so this nice little the the the, the multicolored graph at the bottom, right? Yeah. Showing the active, showing the regions of act activation. So that Tisney was developed by one uh, a, a former Tilburg PhD student. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Tilburg University doing big things out there, <laughs> changing the game. Uh, man, I was so happy to see that. I was like, damn, good job. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. Can we go into one of the things that they did to get these deep neural networks working with the reinforcement learning, because a common problem within this approach has been that there are weird correlations between like the current state of the agent and the target state of an agent. Because you know, if it gets close to its final goal, then it's hard to distinguish what the differences are between these two. And one of the ways they avoided this is what they call experience replay which is extremely computationally expensive. And what they do is that they take the state of the agent, so just a frame of where it currently is, they save this in a huge data set of all of the states that agents has ever been in. And when they train the deep neural network, they randomly sample states 
from this huge collection of previous states to add some kind of variation into the learning. And they do this because they think that in the human brain, we're doing the same thing. We're replaying memories when we're sleeping, when we're tired, when we're just not thinking about things. And they think that this has an, an effect on the action value function that they build. Uh, just to clarify, did you properly understand the difference between that uh, replay training versus the normal training of going through all the data? Because I, I have to admit, I was a little bit fuzzy on the details. Like, you have um, normally, like, when you do epochs on, you know, any neural network, you usually go through all the data all the time, right? Uh, but this replay, was it happening during the training at the end of an epoch? Was it happening throughout, like, that was the only epoch they had, or was it something they do at the end on top of that? Did you yeah, get I'm this Yeah, I'm not sure data? where in the training exactly they do it, but what they do, from what I understood, is that they take, in normal training, you have a sequence of states and actions, right? And they're, they're what should I say, like, it's, it's in order of the correct states and actions. So, you know, one state follows from one action and that state follows from another action. What they do with experience replay is that they take random states that, are, that don't make sense. Like if you would look at the states one after another, it, they wouldn't make sense. They're all over the place. And that's the point, that you have yeah. these random states thrown into the training that they sample uniformly from this huge data collection of all of the previous steps. Yeah, that's pretty great, actually. I found it very interesting how they proposed this as a solution, which you know apparently works really well. Uh, to the problem of decoupling um, states that are near each other uh, from the words correlated. that they offer, right? Like, uh, it, you don't necessarily need to do this series of steps to get that reward. It's just one of those uh, steps that led you to the eventual reward so you can drop the rest. And it is, you know, uh, the random sampling from the replay memory uh, allows you to do just that, to decouple the rewards from like to, to try to figure out what actually caused you to achieve the reward, which would be otherwise a problem. So this is a real problem, right? Even in the brain, I think it was for a long time people were trying to figure out how exactly it is that we attribute success to actions, right? Because in our daily lives, when we go about doing stuff, we do so many things, right? And when we, let's say, we reach a state that we perceive as a reward or getting somewhere, how we work back from the current state through all the previous states that we experienced and pro properly attribute a, let's say, positive reward for all the things that helped us get here, that's a real problem. And and that's uh, hypothesized that, that dopamine and acetylcholine play a part in this, right? So what it does is acetylcholine marks the things that you should you should pay attention to, and then dopamine goes in and reinforces them. Um, but this question, this problem of correctly attributing the things that led to your current state, that's a real problem. Like, it's not just a problem in AI, it's just a problem in figuring out in, in, in our brain, like, okay, what the hell is happening, right? So one interesting study, interesting study that they did was um, they watched the they trained uh, trained mice to learn the mazes, right? And while they were learning it, they had electrodes in their brain, measuring their firing rate and all this stuff. And when they when the mice mouse was done learning the maze, they let the mouse go to sleep 
right? And then they continued to watch the brain do its thing. And at first it looked like just a bunch of noise and they're like, okay, well, it's just noisy. But when they slowed it down, what they found was a really strong match between what was being played at like multiple X speed and what was actually happening when the mouse was running through the maze. So while they were sleeping, they were replaying that experience at like, at a, at a pace. It's really interesting. It's like, it seems like when you're sleeping, your brain sort of can go into this state where it's not concerned with a lot, much of the outside experience, but it's just processing all the experience you had and then just rebuilding stuff like okay learn this learn that like it's it's pretty interesting how how our brain does it it's absolutely fascinating and i think that's exactly what they were trying to recreate with this experience replay in their algorithms right that they they replay these memories in a way to try and optimize and tweak the the q function that we should also talk about yeah exactly i was about to say we should talk about the q function and like what it actually is and what it means uh, before we jump to that, I just want to talk something about the, you know, a problem of coupling uh, or, or decoupling rewards from what actually caused them. Uh, just wanted to mention like a small fun fact. Uh, pigeons are so bad at this uh, that if you give them uh, a clock, um, like uh, um, you feed them at a regular interval um, and there's like a button or something that they can press um, or any type of cue that they might think leads to the rewards. But the reward is actually at a regular interval. They'll keep doing that a lot. It's called like a uh, pigeon superstition. And like, it happens like, if the first time they get fed, they were doing, I don't know, uh, they were spinning on one side, they were just doing w one full turn or two turns on the other side or something silly like that. They'll, it's very likely that they will believe that that's what caused the food to appear. They <laughs> don't realize it was just like random time intervals or regular time intervals, they're just like, and they will keep doing that over and over and over, hoping that it will lead to another behavior, uh, to another reward. Um, so it's not only a problem in neural networks or you know artificial neural networks. It's also a problem that some animals haven't solved yet. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. We have, we have a, we we don't even think about a lot of this stuff. But our ability to say like, okay, this action led, like our ability to attribute action to a current state or like our causal relationship uh, our ability to map things to cause like causes to results that's no joke that's pretty pretty impressive as far as uh, processing goes but that's cool about the pigeons though that's interesting anyways okay this q function okay first of all why is it called q does anybody know i bet you don't I have no idea, actually. That's a great question. I was about to Google that, but then uh, I ran out of time okay. to review the paper. <laughs> but please enlighten us. So Q stands for quality, right? So what is the quality of this action given this state you're in? So there's the uh, action value function, and then there's the state value function. State value function, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. So basically, the action value function is you have you have a, you have a, you have a set of policies right pi and so from a given state you take a given action based on the rules of a given policy right so it's like if your policy is if there's food in the fridge i'm going to eat it right and you open the thing 
you open the fridge. State is that there is food in the fridge. Action is going to be, so I mean, obviously, if it's fully deterministic, then it's just like, if, then, right? But generally, the policy is like a distribution. It's like, okay, with some probability, I'll take this action, some probability, I'll take this action. And the um, all of this is defined in terms of how each action and the and the associated reward maxim does it maximize or minim or minimize the sum of maximum rewards that you can get right it's such a like a it's not a crazy like it's not there's nothing like that insane about the concept it's just like uh, implementation details obviously are, are tricky but i think we should also talk about the about the discount factor but yeah yeah a question on that so the idea is that you have this queue function and it tells you which action is the best to take given a state. And the entire learning process is about finding this policy that will give you the best action given a state. So you have to learn that. Yep, exactly. And that's what the agent does by itself. Exactly. I will just make a note because this is something that might be a misconception, uh, might lead to a misconception. Like the whole training happens on the assigning values uh, to actions. There's no, uh, in other deep learning uh, models, like you you train a network to choose, like to do something pretty much. Uh, here you're not training the network to do something, here you're training the network to evaluate outcomes and then you, you pick one uh, pseudo randomly. Like uh, you usually pick the best one, but uh, as they say in the, um, in the test results, uh, 5% of the times they will pick a random one to just have some chance of exploring other paths, but usually picks the, the best one. So the policy of the action um, picking policy is actually uh, not trained. It's handcrafted. It's just like 95% of the times do what you think is best, but it's the thinking what's best that is uh, where the training happens and where the Q, uh, Q learning uh, algorithm applies. Yeah. And this is called the off policy queue learning. And that I think that's a I think that's common for all queue learning, but I'm not sure. But I do know the, that the model they used is off policy, which means that when they train the queue learning, they strive for the optimal policy. And they try to take the greedy action. So they try to take the best action to maximize current reward. But when the network is actually playing, they add this exploration feature that you're talking about to let it try new things, to discover new actions and end up in states that it hasn't been in before. Because maybe those states turns out to be better because it doesn't know, it has to explore. Yeah, uh, the um, epsilon function, I think it's called, the exploration, it stands for exploration, is um, uh, during the training, the first million frames of training uh, out of 50 million total, I believe, they start with uh, one as the parameter for how much they go on exploration, which means at the start it will do completely random moves, which is pretty normal, it hasn't been trained yet. And over time, over these first million frames, it will go down to 0 0.01, uh, I believe, uh, where it always follows, almost always follows the best course of action, uh, except that 1% of the time. And it will keep doing that for the remaining 49 million frames. So it starts very exploratory, uh, and then it just uh, does what it thinks it best and keeps looking for minimal optimizations with just basically what amounts to a, a small learning rate. Because, uh, well, it's a small exploration rate, but um, I maybe naively want to think that it's 
it leads to a similar similar outcome. Uh, but then, yeah, in practice, when you do use the algorithm, you let it be a bit more exploratory just to see what happens, at least in this paper. For me, more than anything else, the the, the interesting thing about AI is, okay, this is this stuff is cool, getting machines to do this stuff is cool, but it, it, it really helps me think about life and what, and, and how the universe that we exist might be structured, right? Like, so it give, like, if we can, I mean, if we, are, if we can train a machine to do something in this way, or like, if this is a reasonable way to think about it so that a machine can do it, right? How would that, how would, what does that tell us about the life that we have? And what does that tell us about the brains that we have? And you know, what kind of insight does that, does that, does that give, right? So, for example, when I think about, um, like when I think about reinforcement learning, like one of the most interesting things that for, for me is the uh, discount factor, right? So discounting, discounting future future rewards. Right? What does that mean? So when you so when you're calculating the expected value of a given action in a given state, right? You you're basically summing over. A bunch of future possible rewards, right? So, so like, okay, if I'm at this, if if I'm at this state, and I do this action, which me, which takes me to another state that, it, which gives me more another action, each of those states has, uh, and actions have an associated reward, right? And you're summing over all those rewards, but this is this is such a like a really the the link here between life is like psychology and computation is so nice because the discount factor thing is nothing is not something that's new in ai or anything like that they use it a lot in finance as well right so you discount future uh, possibility of future income because the implicit understanding here is that the future is uncertain right and the farther out that you look the more un uncertain it is right so if you have a really, let's say, uh, okay, so the discount factor, gamma in this paper, right, is between zero and one, right? So what happens is, if you have a number that's very close to one, right, let's say it's 0.99 or whatever, right? Then you multiply, so, so every time you want to calculate the total reward, the future, you're multiplying gamma by gamma by gamma by gamma by gamma by gamma to however many steps in the future, right? And whenever you multiply two small numbers together, you get an even smaller number, right? Okay. So if gamma is close to one, that means the rate at which the value of future rewards decay is relatively slow compared to if you had gamma close to zero. That means you are actually fairly certain about what's going to happen in the future in a certain you, in, in in the way you value rewards so it's like if you are gamma value is really small it's more of a get what you can get now sort of situation right it's like you're very certain about things that happen at the immediate next time step but you're way less certain about the things that will happen down the road so you weight those rewards much less. So basically you're saying things that I can get right now are way more valuable than things that I can that might or might not happen in the future. 
Okay. So why I bring this up is there's an interesting parallel with with psychology. Can I, can I say something? Yeah, 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 yeah before you move on to that. They actually used 0.99 as the discount factor throughout the training of this algorithm. So they really do value right. future rewards. And that might be because the Atari games are quite deterministic, at least mm. some of them. While playing something like Dota or chess or AlphaGo is much harder because you have an opponent and you, you just can't know what they're going to do in the future. You can predict what they're going to do, but you can't be certain about it. Yeah, for sure. So one inter- this is interesting thing, right? So you, I think you guys will find this interesting. Um, human beings discounting or discounting of the future is variable okay and it really it changes based on how your the the environment you grew up in your current situation things all these weird things happen to you so for example um there's this theory called um what the hell was it called andre um uh life history theory Life history theory, right? So basically, I don't know how it means. This is psychology, so it's grain of salt. But still, um, if you grew up in a situation where resources were not dependable and people's people, like you couldn't count on the future manifesting the way you, the, when you expected it, you value your, you, you have a very very low discount factor. Right, so you take things as when they can, when you get them, right? When you when they're available, and you don't think that much about the future, because like, what the hell, you this shit's not gonna happen. Like, people are gonna leave me, or like this, mm, I'm gonna get robbed, or whatever the fuck it is called, right? So, um, there's this really interesting parallel between. I love the idea of, of a discount factor. It's so, it's so interesting. Um, but anyway, so I like how they applied this in a very nice, simple, mathematical way to this learning algorithm. It's like, okay, you know, the value of your future rewards is... like That simple concept grabs the idea of an f- uncertain future. Like, that's nuts to me. Like, just like the fact that you put this little thing in here, oh yeah, future, counted for. Like, what? <laughs> how many lifetimes would it take me to come up with that shit? But like, I mean, you've been doing it for a while, but... I mean, in layman's terms, uh, they say a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? Yeah. It's like, how much do you value pres- like immediate rewards versus uh, long-term rewards? And that's a really important thing for humans. Uh, some of us are better at it than others. Um, better at uh, actually might be an improper way of saying this, but arguably um, preferring long-term rewards can lead to, gr- to, to greater outcomes. Okay, now that that's true, but that give, that that brings us to this important little thing that they do, where they randomly sample and they do random exploration, right? That's neat, because you when you if if you if you if you're over optimized in one thing and and you're like trying to get the most out of the thing is you're basically the question is have I hit a local maximum or local minimum, right? That I can't escape from. Okay, so I'll give you a real life example. Okay, so when I, uh, before I joined this program, I, I was working in Sri Lanka, right? I was working for a really big company, okay? I was working, I was, a, I, was a, I was an executive doing marketing stuff, right? And I could, if I just stayed there, I would have, I could have 
I have no doubt in my mind. I was just like, I would have risen up the ranks, got the thing, been like, it would have been awesome. But I realized this is a local maximum, right? Like, I was like, okay, I cannot get stuck on this hill. Like, I, I mean, I, obviously, I didn't have the terminology to think about it that way then. But I was like thinking, like, if I if I stay here and optimize on this thing, there's only so far I can go. I recognize that. And then I just did a basically a random restart, right? Like a random search, like a stochastic gradient, stochastic gradient descent, basically, right? And I was like, I just like went on a different direction and up and explored in hopes of finding a higher opt higher ceiling, which I found, right? Luckily, but that could have been catastrophic, right? That could have ended really poorly. So that was a huge risk on my part, right? I left everything. I was like, quit my, I quit my job by like, I like, left my, left everything, right? But it worked out. But it couldn't have worked out. It could have been a complete disaster. But on average, if a bunch of people do that, on average, people will, someone would benefit, right? So it's interesting. I, but like, the parallels here, I love this shit. It's like, this is how I think about this stuff. So it's pretty cool. I just quickly want to say that talking about life and life choices, life goals in terms of local minimas and maximas is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great, that's a very rational way to approach life. Yeah, no, because like, because once you, it, it's really weird, right? Like once you have this language, it's hard to not use the, how, yes. not, 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 hard not to think of them in, in this way, right? So like, um, for example, uh, R squared values. Yeah. I think about life in R squared values. Exactly. So when I see something, I'm like, whoa, what's the R squared of that thing? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay, so for example, um, like I don't, I don't, like it, it helps me not take things personally. Like when someone says, when I, when I say something, right? And let's say I have, let's say I have a social, I have a social interaction with someone, right? And they really respond to something I say or do in a way that I don't expect, right? I know I shouldn't take that personally. Because it's a noisy signal, right? <laughs> like there, there, there are too many, uh, too many, too many weighted sums of things happening, and and too many nonlinear functions involved. Like you know, this person could have just woken up last night, woken up this morning with a bad night's sleep, um, or like ran out of coffee, and then like all these things happen, and then I say something, and then that person reacts, and it's like completely unexpected. It's like okay, well. How sh how much should I weight this experience? Like, should I weight this? Should I weight what I just saw really highly, or should I be like, nah, this might be noise, so I'm gonna weight it less and weight my past experience more. So I look back over the past interactions with this person, and I think, okay, over the past ten interactions, this has been not the not, not the situation. So I'm gonna disregard this noise, this, this random uh, occurrence as noise, right? Like same thing, like, like when, you, when you're in the gym. So if you have a plan, like so, if I'm doing powerlifting, right? I have a plan of not, of the weight I want to hit next week, right? Sometimes I go in the gym. I want to hit. Um, the goal is to hit five reps of a certain weight, right? I only get four, so I have to think to myself, okay, is this signal or noise? Like because it could just be I had a bad night's sleep or I didn't have eaten enough yesterday or like it could be anything. Sh should I go back and restart the program, the cycle, or should I just move on to the next week and chalk it up to a uh, to a to an, anom an anomaly, right? So like not significant, like below 0.05, <laughs> right? And then like it's such a I don't know. It's it's like a nice systematic way of thinking about things, and like really like it. It really makes me happy. So we've been here for 42 minutes. Wait, 
Have we? I actually don't know when we started. I have no idea. Okay, whatever. We've been here for a while, and I actually have a burning question for uh, for Andre to start off with. But then I would like anyone to pick up on this. And it's the fact that this paper is heavily inspired by neuroscience. They have multiple parallels between the hippocampal replay of memories. They use convolutional neural networks because they think that's how the early visual cortex works. And this was released eight years ago. So I'm thinking, what's coming for us in the future with reinforcement learning if we keep learning more about the brain, about how we process information, and if we start applying this in computers? Thank you, Denise, for getting me back in the game. I had a, a semi-existential crisis. <laughs> I, mis I, I misremembered imitation learning as being as part of reinforcement learning, where indeed, Guido, it's supervised learning. You learn by example in imitation learning. That's good to know, but we, we will not uh, keep you accountable for that. No, that, no, that, that was nice, that was not it will, go, it will go down in history, recorded forever. Yeah, no, Future uh, directions. I'll take, I'll take it out of the... I'll <laughs> take it out of the... Take it out of the out. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. <coughs> Future directions. Dude, reinforcement learning is the only... is the best shot we have. Okay, okay. Best chance we have to do cooler and un unformalizable and more and more complex stuff with AI. Like, Speak into the mic, bro. human in the loop reinforcement learning, dude. That's, dude. that's the best thing there is. Because you can't define the reward functions. Because you got the reward hacking. Could you could you, uh, you just describe what human in the loop is for people who are just listening? Back, back to the back to the back to the backflip robot that started it all. Well, backflip. How do you make a robot do backflip? How do you quantify a reward function for doing a backflip? Because you got you got to have increments, you you got to get close to it. You, it's got it's got to be a gradient. You can't accidentally do a backflip if you're just born on this planet. <laughs> That's true. Like, maybe a giraffe they can. I, run and walk I don't think straight. giraffes can do backflips, buddy. <laughs> but uh, they're they're close. They're close as there is, man. They they're pretty good after they're born. They can do a lot of shit. Your point is taken. My point still stands. Um, so you can't do a backflip straight after getting born. You gotta, you gotta be nudged in a certain direction. But how on God's green earth would you put in computational terms doing a backflip and encouraging a backflipping direction? Okay, hold on, I'm gonna stop you for a second, okay? This is something that's really, I think, crucial. The, he, he, he touched upon something really important in, in AI. It's like, things that interest me is that like, Questions like what is a backflip, right? How the f how the f how the fuck do I tell this thing what a black backflip backflip is? If you want if you want to train a neural network to, to, re to recognize dogs, it forces you to ask yourself, what is a dog? 
<laughs> right? Like, what am I seeing? Like, what is it that I'm actually seeing, right? Because if I'm if I'm trying to put it in a machine, I have to have some functional idea of what is. I need to. I don't know. I need an operational definition, an operational idea of what the fuck needs to happen for me to see, right? And that's kind of stuff that's that's super interesting. And this is one of the reasons AI is such a great mirror reflection of ourselves, because defining these algorithms and how to do a backflip. So let's say, Andre, let's say I tell you that, let's say I'm the reward function. And I'll say that, hey, I want you to learn a backflip. So I'm going to reward you if you rotate over your back axis, basically. What could go wrong with that? I mean, I think it's a valid approach. Like you, you um, make a reward function, uh, like you punish it if it touches the floor with the head or something like that. So it knows it fell, uh, but also you reward it for as much rotation as it gets uh, on the X axis, let's say, like around the, the hips. It might work. I can know? tell you what I would start doing. I would start doing back rolls. Yeah, probably. But that's why I, I added the close of not yeah, hitting the I head on the floor. Yeah, I just put my head to the side, you know, roll over my shoulder. Yeah, oh, you have to see. So this nicely brings us into reward hacking, right? Yeah. So, man, you know, like, that's the thing, right? Like, so if, if you actually, uh, uh, if I mean, if you go on YouTube, you can see this reward, reward hacking in, uh, example. It's like, so you can see, this is like, so how do you properly define the reward function, right? And this is so so true for me in like in in life as well but though let's keep this to just like a, as a computational thing so for example there's a game uh, where it's like it, the video is on youtube it's about uh, ra like racing boats right if you just type reward hacking on youtube you, you'll see it but um you tell the algorithm i want you to collect all the points maximum number of points right and it just learns that if it just circles this one spot over and over again it can collect the, collect the number of points and it completely disregards the winning of the match, winning of the race, right? So you have to be very careful about what your what your reward function is, and like, I think that's really helpful. Even like, so if if you're like raising kids, it's like you be very careful about what you tell them. Like I used to be that kind of asshole. Like my 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 dad would like tell me offhand, like, okay, if you do a a y a a b c, I'll I'll do I'll do this for you, and then I'll go off. And find the laziest, most like roundabout way of just doing precisely what he said, right? And show him, look, what you told me to do. He's like, you son of a bitch. Like that's <laughs> you. You know, but he said, what he says is like, you know, that's not what I meant, right? So the computer has no ability to d decipher what you meant. Right, this is something that comes back all the way even to like programming, just writing average like random normal Python programs, right? So when I'm when I was TAing, people would the people would ask me like they would say something's wrong, and my immediate response is like nothing's wrong, it's doing exactly what you told it to do. It's not it's just not doing what you meant it to do because it has no capability of understanding what you meant, right? And that transfers all the way to this thing as well. If you tell it, you, you, better, you better be precise about it, right? But the fact that they came up with something that's general enough to reinforce learn across multiple things, 
that's pretty impressive so the, like the reward the, the reward formalization that they came up with was robust enough to deal with a bunch of different scenarios yeah yeah so this gets into model complexity because if you hard code the reward function if you write it yourself mm, let's take space invaders okay the ball uh, the frames seem like make it seem like the ball is coming to the left side you should move to the left the ball moves uh, kind of to the right, you should move to the right. But what happens when it's close to the wall? Okay, when it's close to the wall, then you should get a little back to the left, left again. And the thing is, it turns into an expert system if you want to hardcore a reward function for a complex task. Mm. It, it turns into a 200 line if else statement algorithm that defeats the purpose. Like, you need a lot of experts to understand the reward, to understand what makes it, what makes an engine su successful as a task, and you need a lot of time to figure it out. And the agent, the algorithm, finds a lot of roundabouts, reward hacking. So this is so I'll give you oh, this is brilliant. I'll, 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 okay, so um, one of the things about like you know living is that you want to come up with generalizable algorithms right Th that you can live that you can live by okay so well, now no, you just you mentioned something um, I, I had the thought is just like evaporate i should have written it down as you were speaking but um what do you say you said you were saying about uh model complexity model complexity and if you just have a at the end you'll have just a bunch of if else statements if you if you if you want if you if you're not general enough, right? Oh, okay, I, I got it. I remember now. Okay, so when you when you teach a little kid, right, to play a game, at least when I was taught to play a game, right, one of the things you tell them is that it's not important that you win or lose. What's important is that you that what's important is to play the game properly or like fairly, right? Okay, so one of the reasons why that's important is that if you play properly, you will get invited to play more games, right? Which, by definition, improves increases the chances of you winning, right? That sort of a meta rule that's better than any of the other if-fell rules that you could that you could build in to any one game that generalizes to a bunch of different games that you could learn, right? So. When you so in life when I'm thinking about stuff, it's like okay, how can I generate a functional, general enough rule to live by, right? That is hard. It's really difficult to have those kind of rules, right? But you know, that's no man, that's super interesting. I have nothing else to say there, but that that, that like uh, that, that that occurred to me as something pretty interesting. I want to say <clears throat> there's no such thing as a general rule uh, because, I mean, it would be nice if there was, uh, humans would be rational all the time then, right? If we could find and teach people uh, a general rule on how to optimize life, then everyone would act rationally. But, I mean, I don't want to say it's a nice thing we if we had that because then you live in a society of robots. Sorry. So, like, wait, that's a good point. And... I should. I think we should also talk a bit about the goal specification. 
right? So part of the reward function, figuring out the right reward function is inherently figuring out the right goal. Like what's the right endpoint that we should aim for, aim this reinforcement learning machine towards, right? Like I just said, if I said, just collect the number of points in this thing, it'll just be like, well, fuck this, I'll, I'll fucking collect all the points, right? Interesting is like, kids who are more intelligent learn to lie, learn to lie fast uh, earlier than kids. Like you can, there's a correlation between IQ and something like that. So I was like, that's interesting, right? So why is that? Why does that matter? Well, it, I think it's because if you tell that you if you specify the wrong reward function for that kid, right, it'll get stuck in a like a local minimum uh, or like a detriment or worst case, a destructive downward spiral that would that would take it away from doing something useful right this reinforcement learning this entire field is probably the most interesting thing to me like because uh, the parallels between what you can learn about psychology and life and and how they try to put this shit in a machine that shit's great like it's just like it's 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 a nice little merging of the two things that i like uh, i care about Today, what I'm learning about Udesha is that he really uh, thinks the kind of the opposite way I do. Because uh, in our program, like we're studying cognitive science and artificial intelligence, and the idea is we use one to help the other. So Udesh here seems to think we use AI as a tool to understand cognitive science m uh, more than the other way around. For me, it's exactly the opposite. Like uh, I only care about how the brain works to the extent of um, how much is gonna help me implement amazing solutions for AI? Uh, it's really funny. Like I, I noticed this uh, contrast, and I appreciate it. That's, that, that's pretty cool. I think it's partly because like I just don't I just don't understand people, <laughs> and I've always had trouble with this shit, right? And um, it just helps me to like have these nice formalisms, like oh, oh this kind of works. But like you know, obviously, you it's not, it's not. But that's a really interesting point. It's cool though, right? I mean, it makes for a more interesting conversation. If we all agreed on everything, it wouldn't be that cool, right? Mm. But, Dennis, what are your thoughts on the current situation? On the I current have a lot topic? of thoughts. I think it's, it's really interesting to talk about these general rules. Because a problem I have with that is, okay, besides that there might not be any general rules for life, is that these things change with time. You know, they depend on the current culture we live in, what our values are, and uh, look at, like, empires 5,000 years ago, they would behead people and it would be a reasonable punishment. Nowadays, we don't even have death penalty in many countries because we think it's so inhumane. So what's the right thing? Like, what's the, what's the general rule? Well, it depends on so many factors and it's, yeah, it makes my mind go crazy. I, I have an opinion that it, it might be, you know, too simplistic, but I am very utilitarian. Uh, to which, you know, the greater good, the, uh, it's almost always the most, I would say it's always the most important thing, but also it depends on how you implement in practice your, um, you know, your pursuit of this greater good. Like that's otherwise you end up with things where uh, oppressing minorities and stuff. So I would say the greater, the greater good is the most important thing as long as you do it for everyone, not just for a single population or something like that. With a lot of ifs and that, but that's my baseline. The downside of that is every time we've tried to do that, we've ended up with, this, with the situation you just mentioned, right? It's like, it's like, like the philosophy is like, like ends up being, oh, you gotta break a few few eggs to make an omelet. Like, okay, 
How many eggs? Are we, how many eggs? And uh, how big is this yeah. omelet, bro? Like, yeah. it's it's getting pretty he- pretty he- pretty hectic. That's a dangerous approach. See, yeah. So like uh, the uh, the reward function that and the goal state that you define for these machines in 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 isolation is hard enough, right? But for a human being, like, h- how do you like what are the parameters that you set? to for a person man like i here's a, here's my fundamental thinking right uh human beings are the most intelligent autonomous agent that we have right and you actually have a you actually have direct control over one over one of those autonomous agents which is yourself Okay, I'm not going to go and let's forget about the free will thing. That's not okay. Okay, let's just assume that's a reality, okay? You are the only agent technically, really, in re- as far as I'm concerned, you're the only agent that, that 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 you can do anything about. Right? So, if I have this sort of general purpose agent that I can play around with, how do I train this thing to do things that I wanted to do. It's like dude, I, I constantly see myself in the third person. It's like, uh, like I see my experiences as training examples for my brain, right? And and I get to and I'm like and my job is to bias the training examples in a way that reinforces certain behaviors. So that's how I think. It's like if I if 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 I if, 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 if I'm faced with an option, right, and I have to do something, my thought process is like, okay, is this, is this an example that I want the machine to learn from, right? And I take the opposite if I if, if it's not the case. But um, yeah, no, sorry, random random degradation. But like uh, reinforcement learning is. Uh, I mean, this is a pretty old paper, actually, no. But uh, I, I'm not. I'm not up to date on the, any other new shit that's been going on, except Dota, which is pretty fucking nice. But since we're on random thoughts, maybe the human experiment is a multiple human in the loop reinforcement learning paradigm. First, let me get back to the human in the loop. So. Look at this backflipping noodle. One, two, three joints, three sticks. This is supposed to make a backflip. Now, what's the state space? Well, the state space is all the possible permutations and combinations of of all of these joints. So in a continuous world, like the ones the one we live in, it's an infinite space. Now, the action space is also infinite. The torque you apply to every joint is... Mm, and the combinations of possible torques are also um, beyond computation. You can't check them all. You can't check every state in order to build a Q-table for, okay, this is the state, this is the reward you have in this state because there are too many to compute. Now, how do we nudge this agent in the direction? Because it wouldn't stumble upon a correct state, even if we define the perfect reward function. 
Now we do the following thing. We take two recordings. Sorry. We take two recordings mm, of this noodle bouncing around, strangling around, trying to do backflips. And we ask a human, okay, rate it. Which one is better as a backflip, the left one or, or the right one? Now, with this thing, it takes about two or three hours of, of one human, I'm not, wait, wait, no, no, 30 minutes. It can take as little as 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it can take as little as 30, 30 minutes with one human annotator to train this noodle to do a backflip. So, you don't need to know the reward function in order to train this robot to do a backflip. You only need an intuition about what kind of looks like a backflip. You need to know the direction in which to nudge this thing. Now, humans, humanity. Maybe that's what all of us are doing. Our rewards function. Unless you studied morality for a pretty long time, I doubt you have a formalized, you have put into sentences what is the exact thing you want to do in life from today until your death for every minute, every hour. Well, first of all, if you, even if you study morality for a long time, that you wouldn't still get that, but I get your point. Yeah. I wanted to say um, uh, for this, for exactly like for this point, I recently found um, uh, a, an AI researcher called David Shapiro who's doing a, a project called Raven, which is uh, basically his best attempt at doing a, a general artificial intelligence. It doesn't have to be conscious. It just has to work like one. Um, and I want to read the core principles that he's uh, implementing in his, um, in his AI. And I think that's something that we could all agree is, is good, both on a uh, personal human level, but possibly also on a societal level. Um, so, you know, to answer your morality question, like, what are we trying to do, actually? Um, and the core, pur uh, core purposes of Raven are a set of imperatives. Um, to attempt to reduce suffering, to attempt to increase prosperity, and to attempt to increase understanding. Now, the understanding part is uh, mostly for these specific AIs to increase how much it understands about others and uh, how much others can understand about it. But the two goals of humanity, in my opinion, should be uh, aligned with the other ones, the other points uh, that are set here. To attempt to reduce suffering, and this is before the other one, and to attempt to increase prosperity. So the utilitarian view would be to just maximize prosperity, but that should never come at the expense of increasing suffering. You should always try to reduce suffering first and then increase well-being. Okay, let's take this thing apart a little bit, right? Let's talk about suffering. Suffer <laughs> right? <laughs> suffering in which time scale, right? Or like ac acute stuff suffering or general suffering? Because if you just take, let's just take... Just imagine that we didn't know what we were doing yesterday in the gym for two and a half, two hours, right? And we only recorded our phys physiological uh, reactions, right? If you just looked at them in isolation without any context, you would think we were all about to die. Like our cortisol levels were up, our heart rate was up, adrenaline, 
like our, our, our muscles were getting like ripped, ripped physically. Um, like we were, our, our blood, blood CO2 levels were, weren't exactly great. For like an hour and a half continuously, that's, you, you, we were suffering in a, in, a, in a real sense, right? And the problem with, I mean, these are great. This, this, these are like Asimov's uh, laws of robotics, right? In a way, in a way uh, in, like the same sort of vibe. But we come back to this uh, uh, question of, like, of of suffering. It's like, okay, you want to minimize suffering. Okay, who's suffering at what time? Okay, for, for what? For for uh, by what degree? For what duration? Right. Um, defined by whom? Defined for whom? Like. These are the kind of things that, like, oh, yo, this this goes back to to human interloop reinforcement learning, because you can't formalize prosperity, you can't put it into numbers. It's gonna, it's always gonna be an incomplete formalization. But you know, when you look at different societies, different cultures, different people, you can evaluate which one of these two is more prosperous okay, wait, or in stop. less suffering. Good. Okay, that's good. Now to do that, right? To do that, we have to have, we have to have a goal that we're trying to achieve, right? Like, if we don't have an end state in mind, right? Then anything will do. I I, I love this quote. It's like, if you don't know where you're going, any if you don't know where you're going, any path will do, right? But like you just said, okay, we want we recognize that this is a worse black backflip than that right and if we take suffering for example it's like okay that's less suffering compared to that right and i i see what you i see what you're getting at right that's cool um can i add something here yeah yeah and it's that prosperity and suffering are no absolute terms there is no absolute prosperity there's no absolute suffering they're all relative to each other I believe that you cannot have prosperity without having suffering. You can't have suffering without prosperity. So we go to the gym for two and a half hours yesterday, and we feel like shit, okay? We're whining in there, our bodies are torn down, we're crying, but afterwards, we feel amazing. Because when I go to the library that day and I sit down to study a subject I don't like, it feels great, because I'm not in suffering anymore, okay? So the pleasure I got from that is because I was suffering. We are prosperous where we are right now, in this part of the world, in this part of our lives, because we know what other people don't have. And we see our own lives and we say, wow, we're so prosperous. We're living the good life because of all the things we have. But it's only relative to other people. Um, I agree partially with that. Like the fact that we enjoy our lives because we're better off than others, I don't agree with that. Because um, I, I don't know, if I were ignorant about others, I, still, I yeah. think I would still enjoy my life because I have a pretty good life. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, it's it, like, no, I get, see again, I'm not a reinforced learned uh, uh, artificial agent, so I get what you mean, <laughs> right? Even though I, even though, like, okay, the, 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 there's definitely like, I, I like that perspective because it gives you a sense of gratitude, that, like, to see, like, you, you look around and you think, holy shit, the lights are always on, like, there's, there's always, like, it's always warm, I always have food, I can go to the grocery store and expect there to be food there, right? That's a, coming from where I am come from, that's a fucking privilege, like for sure, right? But it's not like it just fell out of the fucking sky, right? Like we w worked really hard, like people toiled and suffered and worked to make their life, to make the future for their children better than, th than what, they had, what they had for themselves.
right? So like, now imagine building an AGI, okay? Let's go. Right, okay, so I had this really interesting conversation like the last episode that I, that I recorded. Um, so when you build algorithms, right? So like ChatGPT or a, tweet bot, uh, a, a Twitter bot, okay? So when Microsoft made this uh, Twitter bot called Tay, and they put him out and put put this bot out out into the Twitter sphere. It immediately became the most horrific racist piece of shit, like ever. Okay, all right, because it learned from the interactions with other people okay. on Twitter, so this online is, so, users. So this is interesting, right? This is a an interesting interaction between algorithms. Okay, because the Twitter algorithm or the and the Twitter recommendation process and the Twitter network, so I did a bunch of research on this, right? I, I, I wrote a paper on this. Um, Twitter doesn't optimize for this Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. It doesn't optimize for the spread of truth. It optimizes, it optimizes for the spread of engagement, okay? And what's maximally engaging is novelty, right? Novelty and things that get you, that get you upset, gets you angry, gets you sad, whatever it is, whatever is novel and gets a reaction is what gets spread in Twitter. So you have one algorithm that's optimized for doing one thing, trained in a vacuum. It has no idea about anything else. It has no idea about the other world. All it knows are tweets. No, and all it knows are tweets. All it knows are perfect person's demographics, their history, their usage history. And its only existing purpose is to recommend things recommend channels and tweets and show ads on Twitter, okay? You have that algorithm built in a vacuum. Then you have Tay built in a vacuum, okay? All it does, just, 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 it's, just, it's just a bot that generates language and says stuff, right? You take these two things who are generated without any information about each other and you put them together in the wild and unexpected absurd things happen, of course, right? So if you, but a cool thing about human beings is that if we think of ourselves as algorithms that are trained, we are sort of dampened by the people around us, right? So when you're when you're growing up, if you're not, if you if you if you were raised by some sociopaths, you were you were engaged with the community around you. Your family is your direct engagement. Then you have your school friends and your all these things sort of dampen down your. Um, I think of I think of society and culture as a as a as a distributed way of updating your weights matrix, right? So you're not overly weighing certain attributes of of your input, and your weights are damped down by experiences of other people and the interactions around you, right? That's how I think of people, right? <laughs> I, I want to pick up on something you said because this is really really interesting now. So these algorithms are trained in vacuums. And what they basically do is they, they maximize the reward, which is attention time or, you know, for Tay, I don't know what the reward could have been, but, you know, answer queries in a human-like way and learn from your interactions. But then we have new things, you know, foundational models. Have you heard of it? No, what are those? I, I'm sure that there are more terms for this. But foundational models is the idea that we can train models, huge neural networks, and use them and basically do transfer learning to optimize for specific tasks. So take, for example, Tesla's autopilot, right? When they built their, uh, their humanoid robots, they took the same network that they use for the self-driving yeah, cars put it in the... and they put it in the robot. And it 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, use this word now, but I'm very careful about this. It understands the world in some sort of sense. It understands that if it takes its hand, its joint, and moves it into this water bottle that's in front of me, it's not gonna go through the water bottle because there's an object there. That's a some to some degree it understands the world. And the idea of foundational models has also been used in language models, where if you take something that is optimized to have conversations in a human-like way, and you train it on mathematics, you'll see that it starts producing better natural language responses as well. Because the understanding of mathematics or programming gives you some, something that you can use in the process of rationalizing and reasoning about human languages as well. What what happens if we take a foundational mod like all the foundational models that might exist and turn in turn them into a really big single one? Would it have um, an intrinsic understanding of you know uh, intuitive physics, semantics, and all that stuff? Would it be an AGI? Before uh, ChatGPT became a thing, I wrote a short story. Okay, called. Uh, um, uh, uh, something I think it's called God uh, who out in heaven or some shit, right? It's basically like this dystopian future, future, future world where there's a moon-sized computer that's orbiting the Earth, right? And it it initially started off as a you know the Svalbard uh, seed uh, seed vault. Yeah, where they like they keep. All, all of the seeds, the seeds yeah, from yeah, yeah. all of the world exactly. secure in case of like an apocalypse. Exactly, event. exactly. Yeah. So initially, it's this the, the story this started out as a information vault for, of all of humanity's generated knowledge and information. Because in case something catastrophic happened to happened to the Earth, we have this backup in space, right? Um, and what they and so they had this data thing, right? But then they were like, okay, we have all this data. We need a way to we need a way to query it, right? To get information out of it. So they build an AI model on this information so that they can just generate, just ask queries from it, right? And then they build an interface to talk so people on Earth can just ask it questions, right? This is dude, this is way before chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> right? This is like two years ago. This is like two years ago. They predict the chat GPT. Okay, and I was like, and, I, and um, so now, right? Like, um, so people when they have when they have que when they have questions like you know like you know, like they, they have issues and and then it was so efficient that like they start out they start um, doing like giving judges like ju judgments like on crimes everything was done by this one thing right so in the story like people went from from not from being religious nut jobs right to uh, to not believing anything at all, and then depending on one entity in the sky that, that they pray to with their phones to give them the answers to all their questions, right? So like, um, uh, and the, and that thing became the general a intelligent agent, even though there was no intelligence. Th this is what I think is gonna happen. It's like I don't like what I think is gonna happen is that no one's gonna intentionally build intelligence, right? We're just gonna build a bunch of shit that's like, man, okay, we need this. Oh, this sucks. We need that. We need oh, we need this. And then something's gonna come together and be like, bloop, bloop. Uh, oh, oh shit. So AGI. <laughs> so what this story is basically saying is that if you have a massive enough collection of information, then from having all of those experiences, should we say, all of that knowledge, you can start deriving a fundamental understanding of the world. 
what is understanding right yeah, like, and that, that's like, my problem with this what word. is it like what what does what the fuck does that mean right i know like we like we have a functional definition of un- understanding which means like wh- which sort of means like can i predict what's going to happen right that's kind of a, uh, i sort of know what's going on kind of i can i can kind of explain yeah, exactly. why it's happening so so like a mathematical understanding that we've developed right is very it's like a very rigorous form of showing that i understand it's like if you have a system of equations and you're saying if I, if i give it this thing if i give it these inputs i'm going to get these outputs then it's like that's a very rigid form of in that little in in the little microsystem you understand precisely what's going to happen right so but the universe of course is a different place and we don't have this in out relationship i mean i don't think the universe is, universe is uh, deterministic so i don't think that's possible you want to know something that freaks me out about this yeah that scares me is that with these foundation models who are going to be the people who can have these foundation models well it's the biggest companies right google meta tesla they're going to build these huge foundation models what if they become so good that doing any work on ai that doesn't include a foundation model is basically obsolete well do you really want to go into that <laughs> like how big corporations are a problem and uh, we're getting either monopoly or or <laughs> I don't think so. I I think we're going to skip that part. Okay, so I got to say there is definitely some compute envy going on here. Right? Like what I mean by compute envy is that I'm getting this kind of vibe. I'm going to piss off a lot of people right now. But there's I'm getting this vibe that the academic community, right, is a little bit a little bit salty about the fact that they can't build a 160 billion uh. parameter network cuz they don't have the money, right? Like I I I feel you, right? It sucks, but like fucking relax, man. Like someone's going to do it, might as well be these motherfuckers, right? Well, no, actually, uh, two things I want to say to that. Like the um the fact that someone's going to do it is like, yeah, sure, uh, someone is going to do it and the problem about it being these motherfuckers uh is that they do it only for the money with little to no concern with for ethics, right? Yeah, bro, but like let's be real. how are they going to get people to do anything like everything we've ever done that's well okay the the ethics thing is i'm 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 super torn i'm really torn you're right i'm really torn because like part of me uh, from a like a from a from a from, from the perspective of, of getting shit done and getting shit to work the best idea we've ever had was to let people build their own teams build their own companies out of teams and let them try a bunch of letting people start their own companies and do their own thing is our version of a of of maximizing the potential outcome by randomizing the options we have because most companies fail but some companies don't but the issue now here is that the winner take all aspect is getting much much more serious because if you're if you're if you're an ai company i think this is what sam harris goes on goes on about it's like if you're an ai company like the what's what's driving the ai arms race in the sense is like it's 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 such a winner take all thing that if you are the first to do it you are the last to do anything that's it you've basically demolished everybody else right i mean i'm, I'm talking about agi which is of course i think if you talk, if you talk to people in our department uh, they have a lot of thoughts about this whole agi project dr spronk doesn't think it's going to happen but yeah i mean that's exactly the problem right like uh, it's it's not 
like I normally love the idea of capitalism. I usually hate it in practice, but I love the idea where okay. you're you're. A lot of hate well, is uh, filling the room uh, right now. I don't know if the microphone can pick it, uh, can pick it up, but Udish was criticizing that because I am benefiting from it a lot. But uh, I I have to remind we had to put laws in place to prevent child labor, you know, and that's the type of stuff that they hate about capitalism. That if we didn't have laws, it we would have child labor, um, and. What I wanted to say, though, is like imagine these companies who, if we had no uh, laws, would uh, make kids work. Um, now give them the art, the the software equivalent of a nuclear weapon. That's my problem. It's like uh, it should be decided by everyone how we treat, how we implement AGI. Uh, everyone who could contribute, because there's a lot of moral considerations and there's a lot of danger implied. So. Mm, true. Okay. I first of all, I mean, if I was like ten years old and they were like, "Yeah, I'll give you two bucks an hour to label some things," I'll be like, "Yeah, sure, fuck it." But <laughs> but like, okay, point taken. But um, uh, yeah, that would really quickly lead to a minimum. Uh, sorry, to a local minimum <laughs> or maximum. Oh, oh, for sure, for sure, it's a terrible idea. Don't in, don't uh, any uh, future utopian. Uh, listeners out there don't 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 do that but like um the uh, the the what, was it, what the hell was i gonna say mm, i don't know how to do uh, i don't know how to answer this question like uh, honestly have no idea it's like the, the moral implications of i mean first of all as a, a, in terms of the rules that we need to have to keep companies from doing terrible things like that's the rules it's the same as if you, if you may imagine a company as a human being it's the same thing like like uh, no one's no one's advocating advocating for a, for anarchy or anarcho capitalism right like that's a that's fucking horrific as far as, far as i can tell cuz like you know the whole for me it's a game right and a game is defined by its rules right of course right but this ai thing is is tricky because uh, the impact it could possibly have is way more i mean actually i'll i had this conversation with uh, chris emery on friday you, uh, you hear it when i today exact same thing he has the same concerns about like the costs and the implications of doing these things but of course i'm of the mind like fuck it let's do it bro let's see what happens i'm on the side of uh, fuck it we're inherently fucked so I'm studying cognitive science and AI so I can be on top of the game instead. Uh, that's almost what I was going to say, but not quite. Um, the problem is there's no way to uh, control this. Uh, like, no, there are ways, but the, let's say the legislation is too slow to keep up with research pretty much. Uh, but what I would like to do, as you were saying, uh, my second point that I didn't end up, end up making earlier uh, when you were talking about the envy of academics towards big companies, what I want to do is join one of these big companies and lead or the team that takes us takes us to AGI, you know. All right, boys. So ten years from now, you're gonna see this motherfucker, uh, uh, the same mother, same guy who was who was sitting here and talk, uh, not not talking shit about capitalism, will be like at Facebook building Meta. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. No, no, look, look, look. It's fine. I wish you all the success, right? Like I, I genuinely do. Like I genuinely hope that like all, like all of us end up like end up somewhere doing, you know. Whatever it is that's that even together, whatever whatever it is we find meaningful, right? Whatever it is that's in, that, that, that's engaging. Um, for me, I, the most important thing about AI is that it lowers the barrier for entry to doing creative work. 
right? Like if you have an idea, I want a short story, I want this story, I want to take this photograph, I want to make this piece of art, right? You can just, you, uh, that's one of the things that, that I really like about generative models is like, it lowers the barrier to, of entry for doing computer graphics or uh, writing code or whatever it is, right? Like if you're at home, it's like, man, freaking, I want to, I just, I just want to build this real thing that turns off, turns, turns off the lights at this, this certain time, right? You don't have to go through an entire four-year program to learn how to code to do that, right? Just be like, Go to ChatGPT. I want to do this thing. It'll say, okay, you need the Arduino. You need this. You need this. You need this. And here's the code to do it. Plug it in. Plug it in. Oh, cool. The barrier for entry for it reduces the barrier for entry for doing shit, doing shit yourself, which I think is a big, 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 big thing. And also, it makes intelligence scalable in a sense that, like, so if you take for example, uh, diagnosing diabetes, di diabetic retinopathy with with uh, with from your eyes. If you look at your eyes, you can look at the damage caused to the veins to see as a function of diabetes, right? That used to that used to take a team of like an expert and a whole clinic and like a whole fucking song and dance to do it. Now, take a photo with your camera phone, upload it to a to a cloud thing with a computer vision algorithm, and beep boop boop. It'll tell you ninety percent accuracy whether you have this have the shit have the shit or not. Now people in Africa who can't who can't even afford a car, let alone go to a clinic, can get their eyes diagnosed by the same guy who gave them their fucking spectacles. Like that's the ability to take intelligence, turn turn it into something scalable, and put it up there. That's awesome. But of course. You know, not all these things are open. You know, like open AI is the least open place probably <laughs> <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Microsoft AI. But I think like. what you're talking about is it's really important, right? And it's an exciting future to bring AI to the people, make it accessible, just like we were talking about before, right? That uh, everyone should have a voice at this. The reinforcement learning is super interesting because it, it sort of eliminates, the, it like, it uh, saves us from having to be precise about the things we want. You know what I mean? Because that's really hard. It's super hard to do. Too. Like I said, like we said, how the fuck do you define a back backflip? It's really hard. But we can get around it by putting just going going on Amazon, getting a bunch of <laughs> bunch of people from all over the world. Be like, what's the better backflip? This or this? Right? Oh yeah, that's good. That's good. And then we can just train this thing to do that, man. But this is the problem. Our ability to do stuff is outpacing our understanding of how things work, right? Interesting thought. Like, with neural networks, we don't really, we don't, we, it doesn't fucking matter if you understand how this thing works. Just uh, keep throwing layers at it until it doesn't, <laughs> until it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, until it doesn't want you to do, right? Like, uh, you don't have to understand shit at this point. That's, that's a real problem. Like, that's, the, that's, a, so our tools are outstripping our wisdom. What I imagine is uh, engineers at OpenAI who are like, uh, so we made GPT-2, uh, but I, we, I have really no idea on how to continue that now. What do we do? Yeah, let's add 10 times more parameters. It's <laughs> 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 like if 160 billion parameters was good, 320 billion is probably better, right? Yeah, let's do it. So tell me, Udesh, if humanity would be a multi-agent, human-in-the-loop reinforcement learning type of situation, what are we optimizing for? 
Oh man, why you why you ask me that question? <laughs> I can barely go to sleep at night as it is, bro. Like you think I understand this fucking problem? <laughs> um, look, my general thing thinking about life is that it's like a movie that we paid to go into, but we fo- but the moment we walked in through the door, we forgot why we were why we came here. It's like, it's like, so like we paid the cost of existing. I think the cost of existing is paid up front. And that's to suffer. You can't, ex- you can't escape that. Uh, you, you define how you want, you're going to suffer. Like, that's like actually like a fundamental Buddhist, Buddhist principle. It's like life is suffering, okay? So that's the cost of entry. And I think the rest of your life is you have to decide how much you can extract from the cost you just paid. Right, that's it. Like, try it's, up, it's up to you. Trying to find value on your investments. Yeah, exactly. It's up to you. You <laughs> already you paid the upfront cost. Like you're born with a dead sentence, right? Like everyone is terminal. Everyone is terminally ill, right? Everyone is terminally ill. We are all gonna. We have a. We have. A, that's it, right? So the question is, what can you do to maximize the return on, uh, maximize the ex- expected reward? On the on on all of your current states, right? So that's what I think. And as far as to like, I've been trying to understand what the hell people are, are doing in my life for for a while, man. Because like, uh, it really helps me to operationalize these things in these terms. It actually calms me down. Because otherwise, I find people to be way more random than I can than than I can handle, right? And uh, for me, it's like, I really think, okay, so. Uh, for example, uh, Andre, <laughs> you need to explain what, what a reference friend is. <laughs> reference friend is. Yes, so a <laughs> reference friend is one of the many concepts I came up with. I patented even. Well, that that's a friend that keeps you grounded. That's a friend that you keep around in your f- group of friends because you have a you have a reference. You you have a referent to to the casuals to the usual people, to the normal people. You know what normal people are up to with by having a reference friend. Who Who is that for you? Udesh. <laughs> Wait, you chose Udesh as your um, a stereotypical normal person? <laughs> Can I just I, say, I, I think that's kind of beautiful, actually. I think you might have introduced a lot of bias uh, if that's who you think is a normal person. No, of course, sure. I think we had this conversation, Andre had this conversation once, uh, about the fact that like when you're interacting with, so if you think about your life, right? Think about the people you interact with. You hang out with people from our department, right? Our professors, your our, your, your your friends are go, all go to university, more or less, right? Do you have, how many friends do you have that, that don't go to university, right? I don't know, I don't know any of them, right? Um, you are in this weird little bubble, right? And, and, and it's interesting, fun bubble to be in, of course, but most of the world is not you, dude. It's extremely unrepresentative exactly. of what the world really looks especially like. like. Especially as you go up in your level of education. Like in the US, like if you get a PhD, that puts you in the top 1% of people. Because, I mean, in terms of like uh, being in a percent of anything, right? I'm not saying you're the best at anything. I'm just saying like in the US, I think it's like 1.6% of the people have a PhD of, the, of, of 500 million people, right? So it makes you... You, and you and then and then you think that the rest of the world is like your friends and your people that's a fucking joke 
Andre and I went were in town one time. This uh, and we were shocked by this person that we saw. Uh, we, we we went to the we went to a store, and it looked like it looked like it was someone who had like a cigarette burn like on their face, right? And it was just like holy shit, right? Because no, because the immediate reaction was okay. If that is a cigarette burn, no one did that to themselves, right? Someone did that did that to that person. And then you think, and then here, and in that moment, I was like buying supplements and some shit like that. And I thought to myself, holy fuck, my life could be way worse right now, depending on the actions that I could have taken, given, given, depending on the policy I had on a state that I was in and an action that I took, I could have been in a completely different situation, right? So I don't know if that answered your question about life, but like so how we got here. Don't go to the bad part of Tilburg, kids. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> okay, okay, look. Yeah, anyway, so man, we, uh, 90 minutes, boys. Like it's been, it's been uh, wild. Anything, anything. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep this thing for like 90 minutes because like that's about as much as my juices can. Have. Yeah, I just uh, I have a last remark and then I'm yeah, done yeah, speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it uh, it's been really fascinating to read this paper about reinforcement learning. I think it's a very exciting future field of AI research. I think you guys went deeper on it than I did. I was like so I was I was so I was so caught up on the the discount factor and psychology stuff. I was just like Holy that was shit, also nice really paper. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But uh definitely cool. Yeah, fascinating paper. I'm uh, I'm really happy to be here and uh, you know we're talking about people and relations and this is uh, truly an area where you can challenge your mind and your thinking and uh, and push those boundaries. So thank you for that. No, for sure man. This has been great. Andre Collective cognition, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we should brand this podcast. <laughs> Dude, this is great. Um, what else? I wanted to um, want to say something. Okay, yeah. So next, next, next paper. Ooh. Do you have any ideas? I have no ideas. Uh, I expected this question coming up, so I was just done typing into ChatGPT. Um, what are the top five research papers that I, uh, about AI that I should read? And the first one that has been recommended is ImageNet classification with deep convolutional neural networks. Would you guys find this interesting? I had a super weird. I had a recommendation. But it might be a little, little interesting. Information theory, isn't it? Shannon. No, actually, kind of, kind of. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think you guys would like it. Um, uh, hold on one second. I'm just looking it up. Um, so, It's a, it's an entropy-based conceptualization of understanding anxiety. Yeah. Okay. So the title of the paper is "Psychological Entropy: A Framework for Understanding Uncertainty-Related Anxiety." It's got seven thousand five hundred citations. Just from from that <laughs> title, I'm truly intrigued. I think we should read this one. I, wait, how the fuck does this thing have seven thousand citations? That makes no sense. That's a lot. But anyway, I'll let me let me let me read you the abstract. Entropy, a concept derived from thermodynamics and information theory, describes the amount of uncertainty and disorder within a system. Self-organizing systems engage in a continual dialogue with the environment and must ad adapt themselves to changing circumstances to keep internal entropy at a manageable level. We propose the model of 
uncertainty emu no the proposed the model entropy model of uncertainty emu an integrative theoretical framework that applies the idea of entropy to the inf- human information system to understand uncertainty related anxiety wow just wow that that that's that's cool <laughs> yeah uh that might be beyond my pay grade but I, i'll try i'll try <laughs> um. Um, there's just one uh, closing remark that I would like to make. Um, just you know, my idea was just to show my idea wasn't so bad. Uh, of the f- <laughs> of the five papers that GPT uh, recommended us, uh, two of them we already read. Oh, nice, nice, good job, team! Holy shit, not Let's bad. Go. That's pretty good. The um, big the big god has spoken. ChatGPT agrees with us. Uh, uh, exactly, God 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 agrees. <laughs> But okay, cool. I'll sa- I will send you guys this paper. Again, yo, I want to thank you guys for joining me on this mon- on Look, I want you to understand that I appreciate the fact that this is a Monday morning and you have other shit to do right now and I appreciate you sitting here and just humoring me with this cuz like as far as uh social interaction goes, this is for this me This peak. Yeah, it's what it does. Like honestly, it's like uh working out, hanging out in the gym and like doing stuff like this. This is um it's it's it satiates my uh, need for social interaction it's Lovely. good thanks for having me no of course man yeah thanks for having us for sure alright uh, do you want to go for lunch yeah uh, now nah, I got shit to do <laughs> 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 alright boys uh, catch you guys next time thanks everyone for listening and uh, I hope you learned something alright bye this has been a one deeper podcast thank you for listening I hope you learned something and I'll see you again next time